It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Transparency Project on the Inside Lens Network, with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides and suspicious deaths. If you have a question or comment for today's guest, please call in at 646-478-0982. That's 646-478-0982. My name is Denny Griffin. My co-host is Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. Hi, Delilah. Hey, Denny. How are you today? Fine. Thank you. Great. I just wanted to throw out a little plug for our Inside Lens Network. Um, We have a lot of different types of shows in our archives, which go back to, I think, I want to say 2004. So that's about 700 episodes to listen to on a, a variety of topics. Not all are crime-related. A lot of them are. And they're all very, very good um, as far as the information that's contained in them. And some of the podcasts uh, highlight criminal cases, which some are still open cases, open investigations. But our intent is to allow families to present information for consideration by the listeners. Uh, The podcasts and hosts in no way represent our guests. We don't claim to solve your cases, nor do we wish to jeopardize any open investigations. Our guests are allowed to present their own information, and while we might suggest some resources and assistance, we're not liable for their subsequent actions. So, um, And the case that we have today, I believe, is even though it's 43 years old, is still considered an open investigation, correct? That is correct. And let's get into that case now because it's really uh, uh, something that might make people's blood boil. A young woman's badly decomposed body was found in the trunk of a tan 1966 Rambler in a parking lot at Southwest 20th Street and Porter Avenue near the Des Moines Airport on Thursday, July 10, 1975. The body was later determined to be 21-year-old Diane Marie Schofield. An autopsy indicated Schofield died of strangulation. Her body was found fully clothed in a green halter top and blue jeans, but with no shoes. Her hands were tied behind her back and her feet bound with twine near the ankles. She'd been strangled with a strip of knotted cloth. The body showed no other apparent signs of violence. Based on evidence and witness accounts, investigators believe she was killed sometime after 9 p.m. Monday, July 7th. Police said robbery didn't appear to be a motive because Schofield still wore her $200 watch and several turquoise rings. 
The rambler in which her body was found was registered to the victim. The case has gone cold, but Diane's sister, Twyla Johnson, refuses to give up her fight for resolution and justice. Twyla is here with us to talk about her efforts and the status of the investigation. Twyla, welcome to the show. Hi, Denny. We appreciate you being with us today. Oh, I appreciate you having me. One thing I would like to add is, besides her watch and her jewelry, her purse was found in the front seat of her car. So robbery definitely, I don't think, was a motive. Yeah, it certainly doesn't appear to be. And uh, uh, we're almost to the anniversary of, uh, of your sister's death. We're a couple of weeks away from it. Um, and as Elila pointed out, you're looking at uh, uh, now a 43-year-old case, or will be in the next couple of weeks. Um, Twyla, can you tell us a little bit about your sister and, and what what was going on in her life leading up to July of 1975? Well, she was only 21, and she had a five-year-old daughter. She had been married and divorced and had a child by 16. And she was just trying to to get by in life, trying to make a life. And at the time, she was working in a massage parlor. And she had left the massage parlor, but she had taken a list of clients with her, higher-end clients that she could see on her own time and not have to pay the massage parlor, you know, their cut. And she had a list of those clients, and I know at the time the police were very interested in getting that list. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. Now, Twyla, tell us a little bit about the massage parlor. Uh, a, a, A lot of times when people hear massage parlor, they think that there may be other things going on. Uh, was that the case, do you think, with the uh, with the place your sister was working? Well, I don't really know, Denny. I mean, I was a young girl, but I have found out since then in newspaper reports that a few months after Diane's death, that several people, including the owners of that massage parlor, were arrested for one of the biggest coke busts in Iowa. And the lawyers of some of those people happened to be the lawyer that Diane had used a few months earlier on some traffic violations. She had several of them. I don't know if maybe that lawyer had told his other clients Maybe she's going to talk, maybe she's not, maybe she knows something, maybe she don't. I don't know, since I've never really now, been told anything. You say that this list that your sister took with her uh, so she could contact these high-end clients on her own time, um, did they include uh, people who were wealthy, maybe politicians or people with political clout? I believe so. I believe that they were the kind of people 
that it wasn't so hard to deal with, if you know what I mean. They weren't just your average person walking in off the street. If you had to do what she was doing, maybe that's who she would want to do it with. Um, you say the police... One thing... I, I was just wondering, you say the police were interested in obtaining that list. Did they ever obtain it? Uh, did, did they recover it? I know that they did. That is one thing I have learned over the years is that they do have that list. And, you know, it says that she was had on a green halter top and blue jeans. And in the newspaper reports, it says she has on shorts. Well, she didn't have on either of those. I saw the autopsy report. You've seen it, Denny. She did not have yes. on jeans or shorts. Well, about a year ago, I got a call from a lady who said that she was with Diane the night of July 4th, which I believe that's the night she was killed. I think the man who said he's seen her on the 7th, I think he was mistaken. I think he got his days wrong. Maybe he just wanted to insinuate himself into the case. I don't know. I don't know how much they interrogated him. I mean, did they just go to his job and he said that? Did they bring him in for a sit-down? Did they verify that he was working that day? I don't know. I know that for three full days, no one's seen her. That was the gas station attendant who said that she yeah, came in. Is he the only one to claim to have seen her? Was there any, is he it? He is the only one. And, and then the coroner did change her autopsy report twice because back then they didn't know about, you know, the stage of flies and the larvae, and the maggots, the heat of the car. I believe she was killed on the 4th. Well, anyway, this woman was with her the night of the 4th and seen her leave the bar, so is your mother. And she told me exactly what Diane had on, and that is exactly what she had on in the coroner's report. And she was living with Diane, and she went ahead and went home that night, not knowing anything was wrong. And she said in a few days when the police did come, the very first thing they told her was, we want that black book. We want that list. And And I put a lot of credibility in her. Do you feel that they wanted the list to see if there was any any particular suspects on the list, or do you think they wanted the list so that they could protect the people who were on the list? I think they wanted to protect someone that was on that list. And did the your sister's roommate, uh, who had seen her leave the bar, did did she know her that? black book was? It wasn't with she your sister, did. apparently. Okay. No, she did, and she gave it to the police. And I was so struck that she knew what exactly what Diane had on that night, because it was not blue jeans, and it was not shorts. And I seen pictures, Denny. It took me 40 years to see pictures of Diane's body. 
I know exactly what she had on. And I know what the autopsy report says she had on. And that's the same and as when the roommate I called, told you. That's exactly right. Well, I called the detectives and told them, this, this girl was there. She's seen her leave with someone. You really, I think you need to talk to her again. I told them what she told me about the clothing. They never, ever even called her back. And then this was how many years ago? This was within the last year. So this was fresh information. Absolutely. And it, it wasn't even worth a call back. They never, ever wow. contacted her. Let me let me back up a little bit, Twyla. What police agency is handling uh, the case? It's the Des Moines Police Department. So it's a city city police department. Yes. And, and Denny, what? Yeah. You know, I was watching that series, Hunt for the Zodiac Killer, with Kenneth Maines. And we're friends on Facebook through Diane's group, and we had been messaging back and forth. And he told me that he would come to Des Moines with his team on his dime and take over Diane's case. Not take it over, but work on it. And our police department said absolutely not. They said it would be foolish to share information with anyone. And I just thought, after 43 years, you wouldn't accept help? When usually Um, when I ask you, why can't we do this or that, you tell me it's because of money. There's not enough funds. uh, Your relationship then with the police department is, can we say it's strained? Would that be an appropriate word? Well, it is strained. I mean, they act very nice, and I call them all the time. The detective even told me, said, we joke in the mornings at our meeting, who's going to deal with Twyla today when she calls? (laughs) Uh, And it's almost like you can feel the pat on your head, you know, like, well, this ought to keep you for a couple of weeks before you call back. The word is what, placate? That's exactly right. I believe whoever killed Diane is probably dead. And I know that they can't arrest a dead person and they can't charge a dead person. And I can accept that. But I think it should go both ways. I think they should set us down and just tell us what they can and say, look, it is what it is. We did the best we could. We never had the right evidence. We couldn't charge them. It's never going to happen. But that's not what they tell me. They tell me it's an open investigation. If you hear anything, give us a call. Giving them so many calls and nothing. I asked the very people that I called and told them about, and they'll say, no, they never called me back. I never heard a word from them. And I think, you know, Denny, I live on a very busy street, and for years I've had a large sign in my yard with the information about Diane and her picture on it. 
I get cards in the mail from people, sympathy cards. People join her group. People knock on my door and say, hey, this is what I heard. I call the police. I tell them every single time. They don't get back with anyone. And all I'm asking for is the truth. Just, I understand maybe they can't give me a name. They can't give me specifics. But I think that they could give me just a little bit of something. Uh, do you have a specific detective you deal with, or is it uh, different ones most every time you call? Well, it's been 43 years. <laughs> there's been quite a few. Right now, uh-huh. there's a detective. His name is Matt Towers that usually takes my call. Do you do you believe, Twyla? Now, obviously, the investigation is open. Homicides, unsolved homicides don't get closed. Um, do you uh, do you believe, though, that the case, in addition to being open, is active? Do you think that the police being an active investigation as far as interviews or what have you, um, or do you think it's open in name only and that uh, they are not actually working the case? It's open in name only. Why would you not call back the one person who finally came forward and said I was with her that night? I seen her walk out the door and get on the back of a motorcycle with someone. Did did this lady know the identity of that person or just that it was a motorcycle uh, rider? Just just that it was a motorcycle. But she was also talking to me. And I think she had been afraid for many years. She might have told police things she wouldn't have told me. I'm not a detective. I don't know how to interrogate someone or, or conduct an interview. The best I can do is pass it along to the people who do know how. And to the best of your knowledge, including follow-up phone calls or conversations you have had with these potential witnesses, that uh, although you passed their information on to the police, they have not been contacted by the police? They have not. And, Demi, I think you know also that there were two sisters who came to me And they are so convinced that their father might have killed Diane that they were willing and are willing to do a Parabon DNA test. And I even offered to raise some money myself to pay for it. First of all, they never called those women back. Second of all, they told me, we can't let you pay for it. It has to come from within the department, and we don't have the money. Uh, <clears throat> I have, you know, some serious concerns with what you're being told. I, now, the police or the coroner's office or someone has a DNA sample or specimen from the from the crime scene? They do, and they said that they tested it 2010, although they won't tell me against two. And they say, well, there's just enough left to test one more time. I don't know. I always just thought you got a DNA profile that maybe could be used 
again and again. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, uh, another... If you're not going to use it now, when are you going to use it? <laughs> Very good question, Twyla. Uh, well, Twyla, have you other... have you spoken with the people at Parabon personally? No, I haven't. Because they're they're I've interviewed them like two or three times, and I I know that they would most likely, and I'm I'm not speaking for them, but they would most likely love to have that original piece of DNA to be able to do their profile. However, if this pers- person that you're talking about that's come forward is a relative um, of a so-called suspect, or you might suspect that that is his DNA, they may be willing to take that DNA and do a composite with it. Don't you think, Denny? I think that's a very real possibility, yeah. Because I don't think they exclusively work with police departments. They like to and they want to. That's, you know, that's the, the crux of their business. But I do believe they will work with individuals to a point. I would I would confirm that, but I I think they, you know, as long as someone can pay for the pay for the DNA collection and the, you know, the processing of it, I believe they would do a report. Well, I get what I'm suggesting is Yes, I'm suggesting look into it. You know, they're they're very good to speak with or email with, and I'm sure they they would give you the answer that you're looking for. Because these two sisters are so convinced, and they never went into detail to me why they're so convinced. They even said, you know, our family is divided over this. Half of us want us to do it. Half of us don't want anything to do with it. But you're either a complete nutcase or you believe maybe your dad did it if you're willing to do this. Do you do you find these sisters to be pretty credible when you've spoken with them? I do. They're sincere. They're contrite. And they want to know. They want to know about their father, I think, as badly as I want to know what happened to Diane. Did, and, you know, Danny, make... I have fought the same fight for 43 years. Few battles last that long. I'm weary. I'm tired. I know my sister's never coming back. But I just believe that I deserve to go to bed one night and know what happened and why. That's all I ask. They don't have to tell me an exact name, but you cannot tell me. We live in a relatively small town that they have absolutely no idea what happened. And I know you know, Denny, also, that the original detective on the case who caught the case Four years ago, three years ago, I called him out of the blue, just said, you know, I'm calling him at home. He had no idea I was going to call him. And he broke down and said, I'm going to tell you who I think did it. And it was it was like he had her case right in front of him. He remembered addresses, names, conversations. And he did tell me who he thought did it. He also told me that he had submitted it 
to the district attorney twice and was turned down for lack of evidence. Well, we had a letter writing campaign where people wrote to the same district attorney and asked him to reopen the case. Every single person got a form letter back that said, I've never heard of this case. It's never crossed my desk. How could he not have heard of that case that was just prevalent in this small town? I can't imagine the detective decided to lie at this point in his life. No. uh, Let me, before I forget, get back to the other thing. You mentioned a cold case detective who volunteered to come in pro bono and and look into, not take over, but but investigate. Right. Now, I may be confused, so please straighten me out, or Delilah, feel free to uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. But um, I don't see, I, I understand the police department saying, okay, we're not going to cooperate. But they can't, I don't believe, prevent you from hiring or using the services pro bono uh, in this case of a private detective Uh, are are they saying that are they only saying that they won't provide any information to your detective or are they saying they don't want him and his team involved they just said that they would not give him any information or share anything with him and he's a well-known figure. I suppose he gets a thousand people a week asking him for help. I don't think would, he is going to come, knowing that he's not wanted, and knowing that no one is going to help him. That uh, that is a shame. Um, uh, Dee, what do you what do you think about this? aspect of the case. Well, I agree. I think, you know, obviously obviously this police department has been covering up something since day one. And they obviously do not want whatever it is out. Um, so they're going to just keep the case open forever and ever until everybody who's involved in it passes away. It's gone. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and what's the point? I don't know. Other than you know, speculating on it. Maybe someone whose name was on that list is still alive and still needs that protection or doesn't want the embarrassment or, you know, whatever the case might be. But after 43 years, come on, you know, it's time to pack that away and, and get this done. In my opinion, now why they don't want to do it. That's, I, I, I don't know. I think, from what you're saying and and the information that you have given, it just sounds to me like something's being covered up. If they have another small DNA sample, if they have that sample, how long are they going to hold on to it? 43 more years? Come on. Let's let's get it tested. If you're not going to use it now, when are you going to use it? I'm the last person who cares about this case. And I'm 61 years old, and I think they think when she's gone, it'll just go right back where it's supposed to be, in a dark storage room, and no one will talk about it. You know, and because well, see, of that I don't, I don't yard, believe that. I, 
I would I would say even it doesn't matter if you're gone. Somebody's going to take up the baton on this. Somebody somewhere along the line is going to bust this open, and they're just you know they're just biding their time because it's not going to go Delilah, away. Because I have young girls who were not even born before, when Diane was killed, who have seen her sign. I had a girl a few weeks ago who's doing her. Um, thesis on Diane's case. She's in law school and she had saw the sign. She had Googled it and looked everything up. I pass out flyers every single week at grocery stores. Wherever I go, I put them on the windshields of cars with Diane's story. And she's not just a nameless person here anymore. People know what happened to her. They know that nothing's been done. And I think they know that it could be their kid someday. Absolutely. So it doesn't speak well for the police department to to do this. It really doesn't because, again, somewhere along the line, enough people are going to be asking questions and looking for those answers and digging a little deeper every single time to where it's going to come to a point where they're they're not going to be able to hide this case any longer and I think in my opinion after 43 years what in the world have you got to lose in my honest opinion I think that maybe the chief of police at the time just my opinion had ties to the man who did kill Diane and I believe that that man was paid to kill her Is and the is the suspect still alive? No. And the chief no, of police not. is he still alive? I think he is. In fact, I know he is, and in fact, he runs a detective agency now. And the original investigators are they still alive? One of them is yes, the one that I talked to, that told me the okay. name of the person he thought killed Diane. But the man. So we have an investigator and a former chief of police, but the suspect, or everything that's pointing to this particular person, that person is dead. Person even killed another woman, Delilah. He wasn't charged with it, but they wrote a book about it and named him as a suspect. He killed her as a hired killer, put her in the trunk of the car and left her at the Des Moines airport. Same MO. And in this book, in this book, it even mentions Diane, that he is a possible suspect in her case. It also says that he was on extremely good terms with the chief of police at the time. And he um. owned a garbage company, a waste management company, and in his whole history of employment, he had one contract, and that was with the Polk County Sheriff's Office here. And I don't know, I can't prove any of this, ever wants to come forward and say, yes, he was involved. Now go ahead and start asking for all of your convictions to be overturned and let the lawsuit start being filed. I just don't ever think they want that to come out. Uh, 
Twyla, I think uh, we may have a caller in the line. Are you, you open to taking a question or a comment? Sure. Yes, Twyla. This is Mark Garrett. Yes. Hi, Mark. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I want to ask you a few questions. First of all, I want to address the mindset of the, I guess it is, Des Moines Police Department? Yes. Is that, okay. Well, the mindset there, to me, when a victim, surviving family member of a brutal homicide calls in and it's the joke of the day, to me, that right there tells a person what kind of department you're working with because this right. is not a joke to anyone as a former law enforcement official and a private investigator, these are not joking matters, and they certainly aren't joking matters to surviving family members of these types of crimes. But I had a question about the black book. Was it found in her purse, or where was it found? Do you know? I don't know for sure. I believe it was at her house. Because the girl told me that she went and got it and gave it to the police. She said that was the first thing they asked for when they walked in the door. Okay. Is that uh, person, is is she still alive? Yes, she is. Okay. Well, I think she would be a, would she be willing to talk to anyone? I believe she would. I mean, she talked to me. She was willing to talk to the police. Okay. Well, and I'm when sorry. she talked to me, she she just profusely apologized, you know, for waiting so long. Uh-huh. But I understand fear, Mark. If there's one thing I do understand, you saw that or knew that happened to your friend, I can understand being afraid. Yes. And if you come forward in the end, then that's okay with me. Well, I think she would be a wealth of information because she's going to know the people that she might have been dealing with. And uh, I have one question. Is it very possible that this killing could have been arranged by the people who own the masseuse parlor? Because when when she takes that list and takes it home, she's circumventing their their procedures where they make money. So is that a possibility, do you think? I do think so. And, Mark, it's been 43 years. I've never, ever even told the name that the detective told me. Just out of respect for him, and I don't want to jeopardize the case if there ever was one. I've never mentioned his name. Well, not the, uh, this, I'm a straight shooter. After 43 well, years, I think you can jeopardize anything. There, it may be an open case, but it's definitely not an active case. Because if it was an active case, those people that you call in, when you call in with, with leads and they're not even called, that right there shows you it's not an active case. Well, Mark, Denny and I have both seen... Diane's autopsy report 
And even though it, it sounds like a brutal death, her hands and feet were tied, and she was strangled with a knotted towel that had been torn into strips. One thing we could never figure out was underneath that strip of toweling was a piece of cloth. I don't know what strangler, what mad killer puts a cloth underneath the the binding. I, I don't know if she was supposed to die. I don't know if it was supposed to be a warning. Well, maybe she during the struggle. During the struggle, is it possible that something got pinched in between those bindings and was ripped or torn? I don't think so. It's pretty clear cut, wouldn't you say, Denny? There was a piece of cloth underneath the bindings. Yes. Okay, would that would that not possibly um, suggest maybe this was a something the perpetrator wanted to act out, and then once he got her tied up, then uh, that's the way I'm looking at it. Maybe it's something the perpetrator wanted to act out and get her willingly bound up where she couldn't move. Have you given that some thought? or? Well, I, I have. Um, my sister was very nice. She was sweet. She was also full of life, and she was young. I don't, I've never believed that she just sat there and let someone tie her up knowing they were going to kill her. Right. I think well, there would have... But there was also very little left of her body. Well, I want your podcast to go on here. I just have one more question. Did she have any money in her purse? And if so, how much was was found in her purse? They never did say. But at the time, she had a brand new watch, which was worth $200. She had just bought it. And they have always thought, and I have always thought, if it was robbery, you would have grabbed that watch. So, so one final question and I'll let the, the uh, administrators of the podcast here, the, the host, I'll let them continue on with the uh, podcast. Uh, did, uh, do you think this was a, a contract killing? I do, with what little information I have. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking my call, and uh, I'm going to get back with you, Twyla, because I'm willing to take some phone interviews as a licensed investigator out of Oklahoma if these at least get some information from them so that you have some kind of information. So. Okay, well, thank you, Mark, and thank and you for that, your support, uh, and I will text you later. Okay, and it'd be pro bono, there'd be no charge, as long as well, they have a phone. thank you so much. Uh, okay. Thank Bye-bye. you for my call come in. Uh, I want to thank the moderators for allowing that to come in. Thank you. We appreciate your, uh, you know, your offer to help uh, Twyla out pro bono. That's 
that's great. Obviously, uh, something needs to be done here. So any any type of assistance, uh, I, I think, is just a great gesture on your part. Thanks again, Mark. So, Twyla, that's uh, some good news, huh? It's wonderful news. And, you know, um, that's the best I can hope for, Denny, is the right person at the right time is going to come along and help and just say enough is enough. You know, and like I said, nothing is ever going to bring my sister back. And in the last few years, I have finally found peace. I mean, I don't grieve every single day, day and night. But that's still my sister. She deserves at least to be have someone named accountable for her death. You took it, you should own it. And even though she has a beautiful headstone, when I go to her grave, all that headstone says to me is, you just didn't matter. Terrible feeling. One that I'm um, not willing to live with. Twyla, let, let me just mention something from a, uh, an old case that uh, that might have similarities to your sister's. Um, in this regard, information, uh, there was a double homicide in uh, Lakemore, Illinois, and that was in the 80s. And about three or four years ago, uh, based on a book I had written with the former Chicago outfit, uh, a hitman, he named the killer in this case, and the, the killer had died in prison. He was deceased. And the uh, the police department there investigated based on the information in the book, and then they contacted my my co-author who who provided that information. And they determined that the information was credible, and if the uh, suspect were still alive, they would have sought an indictment against him for those two murders. And they ended up closing the case, the cases, um, and what they called an exceptional clearance, in that although the suspect was deceased, information was sufficient to believe that he was in fact the killer and had he been alive, they would have uh, they would have sought an indictment. So that's maybe something. Because you say you think the the suspect is is deceased, but if if an investigation was done that uh, substantiates what you believe, uh, the case may be able to be closed and cleared. Uh, you know, even though, because you're looking for resolution, you'd like to know what happened. And uh, that might be a way it could be done, uh, e- even though no one is alive to charge at this point. So uh, that might be something to, to think about, that that would be a possibility of an outcome. But the first thing you have to do is get someone 
to investigate it was going to have to be a police agency. Uh, but, you know, the police agency, yes, they have a law enforcement uh, authority and so forth. But if they get information that's provided to them by you, by a private detective uh, working on your behalf, whatever it is, they have to act on it. They can't continue to pay, apparently, to pay lip service to you and like you say, try to placate you for another two or three weeks before you call back um, and not work the case. The, the case has to be worked based on the leads provided. If they aren't actively out there doing it themselves, they've got to act on, on leads. And, uh, you know, how you can have an open, unsolved homicide like this uh, and and get information, be getting leads, and never follow up is... Uh, is is very disheartening and and troubling, at, at least to me. Well, it adds insult and, to injury, and I have yes. asked them over and over and over, Denny. I'm almost wanting them to tell me. I ask them every time I talk to them. If I'm just beating my head against a brick wall, tell me. I'll stop. I can accept that. No, no, no. It's an open case. We're working it. Anything you know, bring it to us. I hate to call them yeah. liars, Denny, but then I call the very same people back that gave me the information. I never heard from them. I called them. I left a message. They never called me back. Mark, I think, was uh, right on point saying that if the detectives jokingly refer, you know, about who's going to catch a trialless call next and so on, and and the fact that, that they don't pursue leads that are provided to them, it does pretty much indicate, I think, what's going on. And you may or may not be aware that through the uh, – Transparency Project, we're encouraging uh, people to seek legislative action in their own states, trying to get some changes based on Molly's Law out of Illinois, where if, if you submit a request for information to a governmental agency, in this case be police or possibly a coroner um, in some of our cases, and they refuse to give the information citing the open case exemption, that you would then be able to appeal that decision to the attorney general's office and the attorney general would review the uh, the declination, why, why the agency declined to comply with the FOIA request. And the, the big part of that is it goes beyond. They have, the, the agency has to not only prove the case is open, but they have to prove it is active, and that is the key. They have to show that they are actually investigating, currently investigating the case. Otherwise, the attorney general can order the um, the information to be released. So uh, we're, we're encouraging people in their own states to, um, to contact their legislators and, and try to get an equivalent – uh, of uh, 
Maui's law passed or at least introduced and hopefully passed in their own states, that would be a tremendous uh, benefit to survivors of, of the victims, such as your case and several of our other uh, transparency project members. So I hope uh, I hope you'll consider that. I will, and maybe that's the best that I can ever do, Denny. I mean, I know that I may never know what happened to Diane, what happened that night. But I know that I'm not the only one going through this. There's heartache everywhere. And, you you know, when someone passes of an illness or an accident, Maybe you grieve different, and maybe you get over it quicker, or maybe it's just me. But I was given a life sentence that day. I'm not going to get any days off for good behavior. There's not going to be any early release. This is going to bother me until the day I die. I just want to know why. I don't even need a name, especially if they're dead and they're gone. I just want to know why a 21-year-old girl had to be murdered, put in the trunk of her car so that her family could never, ever even see her body and say any kind of a goodbye again. A daughter was left motherless. I just want to know why. I just want well, to know that she was enough of a human being that the police department would have and should have done every single thing they could have to hold someone accountable for that. Well, that's not being unreasonable. I don't think that's an unreasonable um, desire on your part at all. And I'm hoping with... Uh, you know, with your efforts and, and people like Mark who are willing to uh, to give you a hand, that at some point you'll get the resolution you're looking for and 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 know what happened and and so forth. That uh, and that that will give you, I think, uh, the peace you're looking for. What uh, what are your thoughts, Dee? I totally agree with everything that you've just said, Denny. I think again, after 43 years, enough is enough. We've we've highlighted so many of these cold, cold cases, 40, 50 years old, and to me, justice will never be served. We know that, but these families, they deserve to have answers to their questions. They deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, as does the victim. And I, I just have, I can't wrap my head around any excuse, any reason why that can't be done. Have you ever thought about reaching out, Denny, to one of the investigators and bringing them on the show? Let them tell their side of the story. Yeah, that would be a, a good possibility. Uh, what do you think, Twyla, about that idea? depend on who you talk to. The last time I went down there, when I demanded to see pictures of Diane, I mean, I thought I at least had that right. There was three detectives in the room, 
and two of them were adamant that I could not see those pictures because there was evidentiary value in them. And I would not stop. And one captain just said, I'm going to let her see him. One detective stormed out of the room, and he brought me out the pictures and showed me, and that's when I realized, you know, exactly what she had on. Depends on who you talk to. Uh, one thing I might add to, Denny, is Des Moines is not the biggest city in the world. It's pretty small. And I can't believe, unless it was just a random killer who flew through town and then went on his way, how could an entire town stay silent? What would you have done to deserve the silence of everyone? You didn't tell a woman you laid next to. You didn't tell a friend. You didn't tell someone in a bar. Surely someone has at some point come forward and said something. Uh, you, you know, the uh, something I was just thinking of here while you were talking is you know what information you have passed on to the police. And and you've done your follow up uh, conversations and so forth that 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 information was not acted on. Uh, right now, you have no way of knowing who might have contacted the police directly, right? And and not contacted you. And if so, what happened to those leads, if if any? Uh, uh, you know, that does make you wonder, and if you can't see the records, if, if because it's the open case exemption, they won't share records with you, uh, there's no way to know. In other words, you can't see the reports of, of who may have called in or come into the station or whatever have you. So uh, there's no way to know if they've received any information independent of you or not. Am I correct? Right. I I mean, and they won't even talk. I've seen TV shows where the detectives were open and honest with people. They, I mean, they tell me nothing, absolutely nothing. Both my parents have passed and never knew what happened. Have you... Have you got any media outlets that are interested in doing more? Maybe you're shining the, the light, if you will. Well, uh, we have three TV stations, and I've been on all of them. The newspaper, every few years, runs a story on Diane. Kind of old news, Denny. I mean... Yeah. Maybe in conjunction with the anniversary coming up, maybe somebody would be, in, you know, have, have some interest in, in doing something is, is the anniversary aspect of this. Um, well, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up here, Twyla. Uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And please let us know if, uh, if anything breaks and if, uh, you know, if Mark is able to uh, to generate any additional leads or information that might help uh, move the case forward. So, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with you. 
Well, thank you, Denny, and thank you, Delilah. And anytime, Twyla. Denny, you've been a godsend We're happy to have to you. And we'll okay, our next. And we have the page. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, our next regularly scheduled broadcast will be on July 3rd, when our guest will be Cheryl McCollum of the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. Please join us then. Thanks, and stay safe. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.